Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman, and uh, Andy's not here with us today. I'm going to charge on ahead without him. But this week, so you don't have to listen to me monologue, we have a guest today. We have Phil Cameron. Hello, good evening. Thank you for joining joining me, Phil. Um, okay, here. so Phil, we need to start start with the first the first sort of mystery here is how did we get connected? Because <laughs> I'm still not actually 100% sure. Yeah. Um, we've known each other online for a little bit, and you came to the con, which was super great. But um, yeah, so I guess, it, yeah, how did you sneak your way into the, the role for Topic um, um, community? I went to grad school with uh, someone else who's in the in the thing. Uh, okay. Names omitted to protect the innocent and the guilty. Yeah. And they... they invited me to the server somehow so oh cool yeah yep uh and I, I just lurked for a long time uh and then slowly started to like make comments and then uh i really decided to jump in with both feet when someone i knew joined the party uh tim tim who has been on the podcast before i know yeah. tim in real life and so uh that was when I started contributing more, I would say. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I think the thing you're alluding to is the the Discord, which has been a really great, like, just resource for, like, chatting throughout the week about, you know, like, what we're thinking about with gaming stuff. Um, yeah, and we're, we're starting to open that up a little bit. So if you're interested in listening to this um, and you're like, oh, that sounds like a, a neat place, uh, reach out to me and we can, you know, see about getting you added. Um, but yeah, so I'm really glad that you did because then, you know, since then we've gotten a chance to game together and yes. then you and I did a little secret project for the Roll for Topic Con, which I really like. So we actually we wrote, did. wrote something together. Yeah. It was a, uh, a scavenger hunt, which was a lot of fun to put together. Yeah. A successful collaboration. Yes. It was really great. Did, have you ever done scavenger hunts before? I have not done scavenger hunts. I've done escape rooms before and I've like helped other people design escape rooms. Um, yeah. And that's, that's very interesting to me because it's like, uh, the easiest way to like make a friend is like to do the same thing over and over again at a set time for a set time. And so yeah. escape rooms are really nice for that. Cause like you got an yeah. hour and a half to escape or die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, so I've actually never done an escape room, which is one of those things that I like, I want to do it at some point. It's just, it's never worked out for me to do. Like, I get, how would you compare those to running or playing in tabletop games? Is it are there is there much overlap, or is it more like a board game? I, I guess I don't even know. It's like a really involved LARP, right? Like live action role oh, okay. playing, um, because yeah. all of them have a theme. Because otherwise, it's just a bunch of like pointlessness. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in addition to the th so there's the theme, and then there's the goal. And those two things collide, and you have to sort of solve the puzzles. And usually the puzzles will boil down to wordplay or association or other visual connections. So there's that. Yeah. So it's more like LARPing. <laughs> yeah, more like LARPing than role-playing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I think, like, the... The depictions of uh, escape rooms and stuff in media right now, I think, like, often really draw on the... And when I say that, uh, that sounds really high-minded. What I'm talking about is, like, every sitcom now has an escape room episode, right? Yeah. Like, it's, like, they're very comical. It's, like, there's some sort of, I don't know, like, room, an archaeologist room, and there's, yeah, all these notes and stuff everywhere. Exactly. Um, but, yeah. It's, like, everybody has to have, like, an escape room episode and a D&D &D episode now. Yeah, which gotta, is really... gotta have the D&D &D in there. Yes, Yeah. Oh yeah, so I guess what, tell me a little bit about like what what games do you play? Like what games? Like what's your gaming history? Oh lord, my his <laughs> the games I play in my gaming history are way different. Right. Yeah. So um, 
I started with like advanced Dungeons and Dragons as like a fourth grader. Uh, okay. And then took a break and then dove deeply into uh, early White Wolf in the late 90s. So okay. Vampire the Masquerade and long hair and trench coats and <laughs> yes. rolling D10s by candlelight, let me tell you, about my mom's <laughs> basement. It was amazing. Um, startlingly heterogeneous, actually. Uh, yeah, but I think that was mostly like I was I was goth, and so like Vampire the Masquerade is an easy pull for your friends. When, when you're super yes. goth, like it's yeah. really easy to be like, come over and pretend to be a vampire. Yeah, or you're already dressed for it, so you might as well. Exactly, like it's just all role playing is to some extent like a power fantasy, right? So like mm-hmm. Vampire the Masquerade is very easy, and that's really where I think my preference for ad libbing and narrative play, as opposed to like sort of railroady or campaign style. Uh, campaigns happen because they're like the one that jumps to mind is like went to Chicago, seduced Trent Reznor, and like fought werewolves. Right, like that was a that was a game session that was particularly <laughs> memorable. How much? I mean, I guess like so, but playing back in the and I won't even say the decade, but like yeah, Trent Reznor probably showed up a lot yeah. in games of vampires. Yep. Sometimes he was just a boyfriend, and sometimes he was the bad guy, <laughs> and sometimes he was the hero. But yeah, no, like so often. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. Yeah, so what do you, what do you play these days? These days, um, I'm playing Heart a lot, which is nice. Uh, mm-hmm. I ran a beginning of Heart at RFT Con and had a lot of fun there added it to my map uh, of heart games that I'm running simultaneously. They're all set in the same world in my mind, which is fun. Yeah. I want to actually like, so I saw the the map. You have like this collaborative map that you break out every time yep. that you play. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So explain that a little bit. It sounds like there's, as locations get added as you're playing games, you just add them to this map. So heart was a Kickstarter and I mm-hmm. kickstarted at the take all my money backer level and what it came with was a map and it's like pandemic legacy or like other legacy style games where you also get like a few sheets of stickers and the stickers have there are different kinds of locations and the stickers allow you to do that and then there are also paths and other just famous landmarks that you can do and so what i do is I always start heart using the Sanctum book, which is like build your own city. And then I use that to place stickers on my map. And so that's how I keep track of That's super locations. fun. Yeah. It's really fun because it, it actually completely enabled the game at RFT Con because one of the locations in my other game of heart is this lake made of mead, like mead, like the drink. Um, yeah. Because it's the... It's the runoff from a gigantic hive deeper into into the into the world. And okay. the the RFT con game was based around a refinery of mead run by like this gigantic <laughs> queen bee, uh, who the players then like killed and like yeah, took over. Of so course. It was great. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Like, like <laughs> players can't let anything beautiful live. No, of course not. I was literally like Molotov into the into the hive. So. Yeah, that's really great. So you, um, so it sounds like you've been running Heart a lot. Um, is that going to be sort of a forever game for you, or are you starting to plan new stuff? So I play a lot of Heart, but the game that lives rent free in my head is Blades in the Dark, and that's a game that I'm always thinking about. Uh, mm-hmm. How can I wrangle new players to play Blades in the Dark with me? Yes. 
I know that feeling because Blades also lives rent free in my head. It's also, <laughs> yeah, just such. Once you play it, you're like, oh, I want all games to have have this. <laughs> this yeah, in it. exactly. Yeah, there are so many exposed like points of agency in the Blades in the Dark. Mm, what's the word? Mechanics. So. Oh wow. Yeah, that's I mean, an eloquent way of putting that. Can you dig into that a little bit? So, like, points of agency. Like, I guess, what do you? Yeah. I think, like, I understand that a little bit, having played. But sure. Yeah. I'm stealing it directly from John Harper, but agency is the ability to affect change, uh, roughly speaking. And so for the players, what that means is um, there are things called flashbacks, which is like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, oh God, mm -hmm. I need a trash can to fall on this dude's head. And then it happens. Or uh, as, you know, as the pitch for Blades in the Dark goes, it's a lot like Ocean's Eleven. Except you mm -hmm. don't have to plan it all in advance. You can just like spend a flashback and then you have the power to do the thing. And so that really switches it all up. And then it flips equipment on its head as well. In a typical like dungeon experience, like you have to make sure that you write down the rope that you have and how many torches and you've got your sword and your shield. And in Blades in the Dark, what you've got is a list of potential items, some of which are very vaguely defined. Mm -hmm. And then as the fiction, as the dungeon calls for it, you check off a box and you have a limited number of checks, but you can always have the exact thing you need, which makes you feel super smart all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've done a little bit of like um, video game design too, and something that we talked about a lot when I was designing, <clears throat> when I'm designing video games is the difference between um, you being clever as the designer and letting the players feel clever, uh, figuring stuff out, especially with puzzles and in video games and stuff. Cause it can be very frustrating if you don't know, don't know what's going on. Yeah. But yeah, that's something that like, yeah, especially in the, the tabletop space. Um, I'm going to probably save, save this rant for another episode, but I've been reading tomb of horrors lately and talk about a dungeon designed to take away agency. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You will experience this. Yes. You're going to experience this. You're going to get chewed up by this. Like you are not prepared you know, for it. Yep. Yeah. No matter how prepared you thought you were, this is not, <laughs> you're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess with, with blades, um, I mean, are you, are you running a game of that currently? I guess when you run it, do you try to do like longer campaigns or do you do single sessions? So I did like a year and a half game of Blades and it kind of yeah. like, uh, I managed to like land that one successfully, which is a different nice. topic. Um, but there were some like lags in there. So usually I aim for like eight to nine sessions of Blades. And if it goes okay. longer, cause people are into the role playing cool. But if not, like that feels like if you push your players hard enough and you offer them enough like terrible choices, hard yeah. choices, then like eight to nine sessions is enough for them to like get in over their heads and either scrape out by the skin of their teeth or, you know, make a big splash. So That's super interesting because the, the game of Blades that I ran, I think went about nine or 10 sessions and it felt like that was about right for, for that group. It was a scenario where it was kind of just like, okay, we just need one more session. Just, just one more session to, to wrap <laughs> things up. But you know, yeah, you know how that goes. I asked you about this before we started recording and you, you sounded game for it. I want to make a D6 table on air. Yes. Um, I like doing this as just sort of a fun exercise, uh, to do now and then. Um, so I was thinking about what we could do for the table and I have like two ideas and I want you to pick one. So one is a D6 table about butterflies. Okay. 
or uh, the other one is a D6 table about candles. It'll have a little bit of twist on those, so just like All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you let me know. Butterflies. That sounds that sounds like the because we were talking goth earlier, so well, let's move on and and do butterflies. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah, I was dangling that in front of you just to see if you would you would go with your roots or not. But <laughs> got okay. go for the devil you don't know. Yeah. Um, so butterflies. So I am um, I'm thinking about butterflies because I'm reading a book about butterflies with my daughter right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's six, so I'm learning all sorts of butterfly facts and stuff. Nice. But what I want to focus on for this table is um, six locations that a butterfly could lead you to. Hmm. Nice. Um, yeah. So this is like there's a, a butterfly in your game somewhere and it's like the it's flittering around. Maybe it's like a golden butterfly like that and it starts to go off in a direction so like where is that butterfly taking taking the party um and i have i have no ideas thus far so if you have one jump in if not i will come up with something very quickly yeah i think that the first place a butterfly takes you is to to its gigantic shed chrysalis Ooh, okay like much bigger than it is yep like a butterfly would be normal and this chrysalis that it leads you to is like you know a shed Yes, I love Originally, that. I met. I said shed as if it had shed the chrysalis, but no, now yes. it's the size of a shed. A shed sized, yeah. Is it like waiting? It's yeah. I guess this is up to the GM. Is it? It, it could either be yeah, shed, or maybe it's waiting for the players to enter. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. That. Yeah, um, I was thinking that um, a location that it could take you to is location of like like a wing has fallen off of the butterfly and it's taking you back to it. How did it lose the wing? <laughs> exactly. How does it lose the wing? Are you going to do anything about this? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Nice. So if we're sticking with the golden butterfly, I mean, we can change it, but I liked that image. <laughs> yeah. I would say that it would lead you to an incredibly valuable grove of plants, right? So like the, the oh, yeah. caterpillars are eating something. Okay. Very valuable. Maybe it's literal gold. Oh, cool. <laughs> Grove of plants. Uh, yeah. So, so gold does grow on trees. Yeah. Or it flies you into a mine, right? Cause I'm trying to think like, um, what if, uh, it, I'm thinking about like it, like how butterflies migrate mm-hmm. and I'm almost wondering like, what if, if the party follows it, they find themselves like not, yeah, they find themselves transported like two thousand miles away. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Like before, before they know what's going on, they're just all of a sudden they're yeah somewhere else. Do they become butterflies? Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say that the next place a butterfly would lead you is to is to a tree of caterpillars that need help. Okay. Yeah. Are the caterpillars, like, is there anything unique about them? I guess it's, again, up to the GM, but I wonder if they're, if, like, the caterpillars can talk, but the butterfly can't. Nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they can tell you what they need. Like, a lot of these have been, have been really, like, nice, nice places to go. When you're following a butterfly, I'm wondering if there should be something, like, a little bit menacing for the last one on the table. That's interesting, because I was picturing, like, the caterpillars, like, eating... Uh, village. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Which may be just like the more menacing one, right? Like there's a butterfly yeah. and it's going back to its friends who happen to be destroying a local village. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's going to be the last one, I think. So um, the butterfly is like the herald. <laughs> yep. The herald of a bunch of caterpillars eating a village. Okay. Yeah, this, this went not in a direction I thought it was going to. Okay. So our D6 table for um, what happens when you follow a butterfly uh, it takes you back to a gigantic shed-sized chrysalis, um, much bigger than it is. Uh, it could take you back to one of its wings that it has lost. Um, it could take you to a grove of trees that are go uh, that are growing gold on them, and the caterpillars are eating the gold. Um, if you follow it, it might transport you two thousand miles away before you know it. It could take you to um, just a tree full of caterpillars that need help, or it could um, be the herald that sh um, takes you to a village that's getting destroyed by caterpillars. <laughs> <laughs> flesh-eating uh, caterpillars flesh-eating caterpillars yeah uh, the caterpillar fact that i learned um tonight from my daughter was that uh caterpillars actually have like little tiny scales on their wings which <laughs> i never knew this but yeah. yeah it's like they're tiny dragons nice basically yeah um okay all right well thank you for indulging me in that um Not we are sure. now going to do what we came here to do which is to roll on the table of topics and actually pick something to, to discuss um, other than our meandering conversation so if you want to get a d10 handy yep. in some fashion I have and got go it. ahead and roll five all right phil the question we will be discussing this week is how do you design puzzles <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is, is an interesting one because i think we we sort of touched on this a little bit i mean i think we we danced around it like talking about different different puzzles and stuff and escape rooms and things like that i will just start with saying that a lot of times when i'm designing like sitting down and really designing a puzzle it's not for a tabletop game usually right. so it's like yeah my mind immediately goes to things like the scavenger hunt um you know that we put together Right, like I've done a murder mystery in the past, um, you know, like sort of things like things like that, where there's almost more of like a physical element to it. And I haven't really pulled that into the table, like, uh, yeah, under the table that much. But yes, what, what about you? How do you design puzzles or do you? Yeah, um, I do design puzzles, but I mostly design puzzles for um, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons content. Okay. Uh, and I start with my goal. And then I think about something that would be fun as a player to sort of interact with. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing that I do for non-D&D &D stuff is, um, rather than a puzzle in the typical has-a-solution sense of the word, I really like to offer my players um, hard choices. Uh, and I have my favorite example of that is from Blades in the Dark. And the, the crew of players, their characters, ended up doing a job which was essentially like escorting this divorcee whose partner was still taking care of them and making sure he was safe mm -hmm. uh, and this guy had been married to someone who became possessed by a very powerful demon and the the hard choice that i gave to my players was that this demon was going to invite them to a party and the amount of harm they took was equal to the, whether or not they liked them, right? So in Blades in the Dark, uh, if something is a three, that means it really likes you. Uh, and if and if you ever get to a, I forget what it's called, a negative three in this rating, then you are at war with that person. Yeah. So like they could have like stolen the resources and that would have taken them down, or they could take 
actual like physical harm to their characters. And one of my players was like, I'm just going to dive all in. I'm going to take level three harm at this party. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. And it completely changed the entire direction of the campaign because suddenly they had been almost killed and were like, and we, we had to sit down and sort of have a talk about like, you know, lines and veils and like how we're going to yeah. handle this. Uh, but the, the upshot of it was that like they were mostly maimed and almost killed. But the thing that did this to them really, really, really liked them, like had this infatuation yeah. <laughs> and basically became like a patron, this demon patron for the crew. Oh, that's uh, super interesting. Yeah. And it was all based on this really hard choice of like, are you going to steal from them and like be angry and get mm-hmm. negative levels? Or are you going to take physical harm and have this being like you? Right. Yeah. And they could have they could have taken the easy way and just been like, no, we're gonna do like zero, and we're just neutral with this thing we've run into. But yeah, it's interesting you said like. So I mean, like thinking about that in terms of a puzzle, right? Like you, you know, there's somewhat of like a logic puzzle, or like a <laughs> you know, they they had to think about like, okay, like what's what's this worth, right? Exactly. Like, I'm, I'm guessing there was a lot of math involved all of a sudden <laughs> for this yep. this decision. Yeah, and I also applaud you for not doing like a level three harm like at a party of being like, um, like now you're a social outcast or something like that. <laughs> like, yeah, yep, no. which which I love that the, the system can support that. But like, um, I guess like looking at that, like, so when you were designing that particular scenario, did you had you thought through the like what could happen, like what could happen in all the different scenarios, or was it really just like I'm going to put this out there and see see what they do? So that's the put it out there and see what they do kind of puzzle because I had again like the 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 exposed areas of agency both for the game master and for the players in Blades in the Dark is huge so like yeah they knew pretty explicitly like what the consequences would be for each of them and that but they did have a long like out of uh and very tense <laughs> conversation <laughs> out of character about like what it meant for for this thing to happen so but I put it out there and and then they let them figure out what they wanted from it, really. That's a um, a good way of thinking about a puzzle because I think there's there's a tendency... So uh, let me take a step back. So I think like a lot of the puzzles that I do are <clears throat> are similar in that maybe like I don't necessarily have a, a solution in mind. It's sort of like... It's like a puzzle-like experience. It's like you... Like we're going to sort of figure out what the solution is through play even though the thing presented to you is like, it's a maze or there's a secret word that you need to need to come up with. And really the answer is sort of like, whatever they tell me, (laughs) like the answer is as long as there's a plausible sort of like way to walk it back to like, okay, this makes sense. Like, yes, we'll, we'll go with, go with that. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, I think for, it sounds like for you and then also for me, like the intent of a puzzle is not necessarily like, uh, I don't know, like you got the, combination right right it's right. more like the what's it going to do to the story yeah yeah so the yeah getting the combination right is not exciting on a like i mean you can make it exciting but by default getting a combination is not nearly as dramatic as as you were talking about like figuring out the cool thing and then like narrating that right yeah like spinning a lock or like dexter repeated dexterity checks are boring but like the dexterity check that hurts you badly if you screw it up that's exciting yeah 
Yeah. Um, and I even like, I promised just a little bit ago that I wouldn't talk about Tomb of Horrors too much, but I'm going to talk about <laughs> Tomb of Horrors again. <laughs> right. Yeah. There, there's like a lot of these, a lot of like the little traps and stuff in that are, are designed to like to be clever. Right. So it is sort of fun. I could see as an adventuring party, if you get the better of the trap, like that's got to feel really cool. Like it does feel like you, you beat this puzzle. Yeah. Um, you know, and that thing even opens with, there's a whole like long poem that gives you hints about, you know, different, different stuff they're going to be encountering. Nice. Um, yeah, which is, which is like, that's, that's cool. Like that's definitely, definitely a style to handle it. Um, I'm thinking about the, so the scavenger hunt that we did, like we wrote a bunch <laughs> of these, like these clues and stuff, but it was all very grounded in this, this real world location, right? Yep. So like we went and scouted out and like picked out, like there's going to be a clue here. There's going to be a clue there. There's going to be a clue here. And then like, let's write, you know, write our clues to sort of fit that. Um, you know, so it ended up being, I think there was some creativity, but it's also very much like a, you got to hit all the locations. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and like watching people go through this and like, I had the same, have, have had the same experience like with murder mysteries too. Like there's this like roteness that ends up happening. Like mm, yeah, where, where you get people, the clue. you get the clue. Like you're not really interacting with like the story of it so much as you're interacting with the, like that, probably dopamine maybe it's serotonin like hit that you're yep, getting, yep. right like every no, time like, i got something yes yeah like I, okay cool i got it like on to the next thing like yeah yep. which is super like addictive that. right because like nobody noticed our first clue until like halfway through the day or so but then like as soon as they found it it was like everything else stopped for those players and then yes. they went and did it <laughs> yeah and i guess I've, I've had this experience at the table too where um it's like matt wilson my gm he's brought out like something that's very clearly a puzzle like mm-hmm. it's it's designed to be played through like a puzzle because there's a cipher or there's you know some stuff we have to wrap twine around or something like that nice uh, it's great but it like it's it is not it's it's it is role-playing but like it's hard to imbue that with role-playing when you're also trying to like solve something creative physically <laughs> do it right like that's that's a topic i would actually add to the table is the okay. the scale of meta narrative agency versus embodiment and how do you reconcile that oh, wow. games? okay hold that thought we'll add that at the end because i i think i like that <laughs> i like that as a question i'm gonna put it in chat so i don't forget it yeah yeah that makes me curious as we're talking about this a little bit like is there a way is there a way to design a puzzle that honors both sort of the role-playing aspect of it but then also the like the puzzly part of it as well or like are those two things just is there a friction there that you're never going to quite be able to to get past you said that as if i had already told you about one of the modules i designed for dnd okay well there you go i'm apparently really good at segues today appreciate it um i designed uh like a tier three puzzle or a tier three adventure for adventures league it never got published because whatever i designed a tier three adventurers league thing and for the role-playing part of it i made that the puzzle okay and the way i did this was they the characters burst into or prepare themselves for a dinner party in a building under the bomb they have just set with a timer okay (laughs) so there's a bomb about to go off the players have set it and one of the guests at this dinner party, they don't want to die. They are there on a diplomatic mission 
and all of the other people at the party have their own motivations as well as their ins. And so the puzzle, and uh, in my DM notes I specifically wrote, you can be as explicit or as roleplay about this as you like, DM. But the goal is to gain enough people to be on your side that when you make the roll to convince this person, they will leave mm-hmm. with you, who is basically somewhere between like a really ramshackle looking like waiter or like maybe nobility that they just don't remember meeting. And so there are all of these different people there, but you've got the ticking clock of the bomb which means that there's a limited number of actions that you can do as a team. And so it ended up being very tense, and people were role-playing, like, no, you go talk to the guy with the huge fur coat because he looks like you'd be interested in him, Ranger, while I go and schmooze the rogy-looking woman so that she can... because she's next to our target, right? Yeah. And and it worked out really well. Um, Things went south, and the trickster cleric turned into a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and then there was mm-hmm. a big fight, and then the building exploded. But <laughs> <laughs> course, yeah. there was a puzzle. <laughs> That's really great. That reminds me of, an, um, did you ever play Final Fantasy VI? Um, no, no. Okay. Picked well, up at seven. This is like narrow cast into a very specific person i'm sure who's listening who both likes roll for topic and has played final <laughs> fantasy 6 enough to remember there's a, a dinner party scene like you're you're invited to this dinner party um of your you're like rival and you have to go around and talk to all these soldiers and stuff and sort of like get like i mean you like get their take on like what's happening and stuff and then you yeah, yeah. answer some questions at the end of the dinner party and stuff but it is this there is a ticking clock in it because it's like dinner starts at Yep. 12 o'clock you know, yep. whatever like you you have you have to sit down you have a, a discrete number of actions and then there's going to be a test or there's going to be yeah something that you have to have to pull off um yeah i like that i i like i like that in that game right like it's it's a very video gamey way of handling that but i also like what you're describing too of just like yeah giving them a goal you know and then like sort of setting them loose a little bit like defining defining the stakes and then also defining what it is they need to, or like, yeah, the limitations that they have. Yeah. And the limitations were like, I, I picked out, because one of the things that D&D does really nicely is it does like headshot portraits of main players, right? And then like brief descriptions. I had a handout for the players that I gave to them. And I was like, here's who you see at the party. And they could see it. And then the brief descriptions. And then for me, the DM, I had notes on like, variable successes so like if they do if they interact well with someone however that works like 12 12 to 14 is some information 14 plus to 18 is another and then like 19 and 20 is like even more information about how to manipulate that person or who they want to get huh you said this wasn't published or is there is it can i can someone read it somewhere i would be happy to share it with you uh and i've got i maintained the rights to it it was going to come out in an anthology um okay yeah so i'd be happy to let yeah. you see see it yeah i'd be interested in seeing that yeah i'm sure if, if someone wants to reach out to you too who's listening to this they can they can probably get exactly. <laughs> get the inside track on it yes. um well, so one one thing that i'm wondering about and we should we need to wrap up pretty soon but with with puzzles right there's always the the possibility that the players can't solve it or otherwise <laughs> fail at it in some way, I guess. So, um, so like I usually design around this by just 
like, as I said before, not really having a concrete solution that like has to happen right. necessarily. Like there's, there's many different paths to get there, right? Like, have you ever had this to just go, I mean, you mentioned, you know, that scenario ended with the T-Rex and like <laughs> the bomb going off, which that sounds but like that a success. player agency. Like, yeah, no, that was, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah. Like what, what are some ways or like, yeah. What are some ways to, to design a puzzle such that like, yeah, you don't end up with that, that failure state. Um, or have you ever played in a session where like it was okay that it failed? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I've never really been in one of those. Yeah. So that's one of the things that Blades in the Dark has taught me is that like failure doesn't mean static or nothing. It means that mm-hmm. things get way worse. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and the, uh, the other thing that I do in my Dungeons and Dragons games now is because like your main, your primary resource in Dungeons and Dragons is hit points. Mm-hmm. And if you fail a social role in my game, I will make you take psychic points for the destruction that that caused your psyche. <laughs> nice, yes. Right? Yeah. And so, like, there is literal physical, or there's hit point damage at stake if you fail even a social role sometimes. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and similarly, like, the puzzle, like, if it's a locked door, then probably you are about to get attacked by, like, a Tyrannosaurus Rex or something else, yeah. right? Like, design your fail states so that you are hoping that's what happens to your players. And I think that would make you a more interesting DM, if not a better one. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay. So you, <laughs> you, you want them to fail, but I totally get it too. Yeah. Like that's, that's one, one downside of running D and D is if you start to, if you start to mess too much with like the fail states, things can get swingy fast. Like I've played around with, you know, critical fails, you drop your weapon or something like that. I mean, but you can, I mean, that can really change things yeah, it quite does, a bit. Because the, the game is, economy. exactly, yeah. action economy is what that game is based around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, you're, you're right with like with Blades, like it really does uh, make all those things more interesting. <laughs> yeah, whenever you fail. Yep. Yeah, I ran a game for a couple of people who, yeah, one shot, I think it was the first time that I played Blades. And they kept on... And like it, it relied the whole story that I had laid out relied on them getting on a train to pull off this heist yep. and stuff. Um, but the problem was that they kept on failing their roles to get on the train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So I inadvertently created this, this awful puzzle for myself of like, how do you get them on a train? Cause that's where all the interesting stuff is about to take away from the station. And like, yep. go, <laughs> like all the fun, fun stuff we have planned is literally off, leaving off the station. Direction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so sometimes the the hardest puzzles are the ones we make for ourselves. I guess is the yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, let's. Uh, yeah. Thanks for talking about this. This was this was really good. Um, I mean, I think like every time we have a conversation, I'm like, oh, well, now I just want to go do some design some puzzles. It's yeah, like you know, really really try it. Um, yeah. So before we we totally wrap up, um, so I'm going to ask you to like what question you want to add and stuff. But um, I did want to take a, like a minute. Is there anything that you're reading or watching lately that you've really been enjoying that you wanted to, to share? I've been rereading Morkborg lately, okay. uh, which is like a, it sells itself as what is it? Doom metal as a tabletop role-playing game. Yeah. Uh, but what it actually is, is a role-playing game in conversation with Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. And so if you think, and it, and by in conversation, I mean that it does its own take on many things that D&D does uh, in a very condensed sort of way. So it um, it takes 
the video game design of like turtles all the way down or everything should be part of your central philosophy and just mm -hmm. turns that up to 11 right so the central concept of doom metal and morkborg is you roll some dice and something terrible happens and yeah. that's like that starts from character creation um there are tables where like you can have terrible things happening to you as your character is made, and that okay. <laughs> doesn't stop throughout the game. Uh, and I really appreciate that. Is the goal for your character to die? Not really, but the goal is definitely not for the characters to live. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> That's, those are not opposites. I, I understand. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I've been rereading Morkborg because it's been... it's I really like it. And I really like seeing other smarter people than me have conversations around stuff that I'm into. So that's what I've been yeah. into. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've been, uh, as I alluded to uh, a couple of times, even yeah. though I told, Tomb of Horrors. I yeah. I've been reading, reading Tomb of Horrors. I am, I'm planning on using it as my Halloween game. Um, nice. so I try to run a game at Halloween <laughs> and I looked up, looked up last week and was like, Oh geez, Halloween is coming up very soon. <laughs> so yeah. if I'm going to do that, I need to, to plan. So yeah, I'm trying to, Trying to figure out if I'm going to actually run it as is or rewrite it, and mm -hmm. I've I've shared this with with you and like I think a couple other people. Like yeah, just like what exactly the take I want to take on that. Right now, I'm just enjoying sort of reading it, and as it, so, it's really fascinating to me. You hear about this this dungeon, and it sounds terrible to me. Like this, like everything about it is just like you you want to play this. Like why would anyone ever want to play this thing? But as you read it, you're like, there's something kind of engaging about this. I could see this if, if handled well, if you drop enough hints towards the players, like nothing is so out of the question that it's like unfair. I mean, there's a couple of things that are totally unfair that I would, <laughs> I would change, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's interesting. Yeah. Going back and, and I think reading that just as a exercise, just to see like, Oh, like what are some different ways you could design a trap or like, yeah, like approach dungeon, dungeon making. Um, and from yeah. the very beginning, right? Like, telegraphing things in a poem and like yes that yeah stuff yeah there's like there's some like just fun fun very D, D stuff in there um yeah and then i'm also reading harrow the ninth right now which is just very excellent um, and i can't say anything about it because it's just spoilers spoilers all the way down <laughs> nice <laughs> you never read it but yeah i'm i'm enjoying it um i'm enjoying it i'm not gonna say less than gideon the ninth i'm it's not um, making me stay up late at night to read it, like read every single page, but it's it's very very good. Nice. So. Yeah, I've got Gideon the Ninth. I'm on the waiting list for uh, okay. my local library copy. So yeah, looking forward. Right. To well, it. then I will I will return my copy so I can keep that, <laughs> keep that train going. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So last thing we need to do is we need to add a question uh, or you know, a topic to the table. Um, so yeah, it sounded like you had an idea earlier on. Why don't you, let's restate that. Yeah, I will try and restate it. I put it in the chat. So how do you manage the difference between full embodiment, like in Dungeons and Dragons, where according to the rules, like you don't have any, players don't have any control over the narrative, but they can affect the world versus mm -hmm. the meta narrative, which is where players get to step back and in Blades in the Dark have flashbacks and call for other kinds of scenes and in other games like you can even just straight up add characters or take away parts of the world right so there's meta narrative yeah. which is like everyone gets to be the gm versus mm -hmm. embodiment which is a very strict dichotomy of like 
someone controlling the world other people are in it yeah that's really cool because i think i think there's ways to play D where you you allow that meta narrative to happen at the table a bit more yep um and i think tr traditionally that is not the way that gms are taught to play that game <laughs> no <laughs> at all yeah um okay yeah i think that sounds really good i will probably i'll, I'll noodle on exactly how to put that on the table but i think that'll be a, a healthy and good discussion to have <laughs> have for the next person who gets to roll it um all right phil i really appreciate you coming on this was super great it was it was fun time flies yeah i know thanks for making the table and yeah talking about puzzles and stuff um but yeah i guess do you have anything that you want to plug or talk about uh if people do want to get a hold of uh my upper level upper tier D, &D thing feel free to reach out uh, okay twitter discord wherever yeah that sounds great okay cool all right thanks again phil my pleasure um, yeah yeah all right well i have been chris salzman and remember if your players are having fun you're a great gm